Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> I love the enthusiasm here. So how many of you have seen any signs of Christmas yet? Yes. Oh, oh my. Wow. So tell me, what, what, what signs are you seeing? Home Depot. Home Depot. <laughs> and what are you seeing? You're not seeing Christmas trees, are you? Wow. A month ago. Okay, we are starting earlier and earlier, aren't we? What did you see, Mo? I've seen um, Christmas Well, that, that's always a good Christmas. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? What else have you seen? Um, my husband said we could bring the tree back in now. <laughs> 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 oh. Oh, so you're going to have a really live tree. Awesome. I hope you have it in a pot. Okay. All right. <laughs> yes. I worked at an elementary school and last week the music teacher was already practicing on the holiday songs. Wow. Of, uh, you know, October. Wow. <laughs> oh my. All right. Well, I have a surprise for all of you today. Yeah. We decided that this church is going to celebrate Christmas today. So Merry Christmas to all of you. And you know why? Because we are going to go through the birth of Jesus today. So we are going to celebrate Christmas early. So I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas um, as we go through and look at the birth of Jesus. We've started in Luke, and I think Jeff said it a couple times the last couple weeks, which means we're going to get to the Christmas story much sooner than when we normally celebrate Christmas. So we're going to do that today. And as we do, one of the things that I want you to keep in mind, and particularly with everything that's going on in the world right now, when you look at a lot of the New Testament writers, like the Apostle Paul and in the book of Hebrews, they really characterize the Christian faith as a race to be run. That we are all part of this race, and we're all to be looking to Jesus to run that race. They encourage us over and over again to run that race. In fact, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says... Let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we have this idea that as Christians, we have this race, and we want to make it to the end. Now, I'm going to change that illustration a little bit when we talk about how do we run that race. Because when you look at a race, it's about fixing your eyes somewhere and getting there. Something about me you may not know is that I love motorcycles. I have loved motorcycles ever since I was a kid. In fact, the problem was my dad did not like motorcycles. And so I was always trying to say, Dad, can't I get one? Maybe I can get a mini bike. And then finally, in my teenage years, I convinced him to get me a moped. So at least I have something that looks a little bit like a motorcycle. But so as I grew up and in my adulthood, I would get motorcycles every once in a while. And one time I had the honor, as I went out to a Christian conference in Texas, I found out that this place called the BMD Performance Center in South Carolina, that they offer a class to teach you how to ride motorcycles. And they have a whole track and everything. In fact, it's to teach you both on-road and off-road. And I wanted to get a dual sport to do on-road and off-road. And so they teach you how to ride a motorcycle. Well, when you do the on-road part, they teach you something which is the key to riding a motorcycle correctly. 
If you don't learn this, it's one of the number one reasons people will get into accidents on motorcycles, particularly any kind of place where they're turning or on any kind of hills. And what it is, is that when you're riding a motorcycle, it's different than a car. When you're riding a motorcycle, let's say you're going through a curvy hill like this, and you're going around and around, what you have to do is you have to set your sights on something you don't see. You have to set your sights so far ahead to where you don't even see where you're going. So, for example, let's say this is the curve that I'm coming up to. And as I'm coming up to this curve on a motorcycle, I don't look straight ahead. I don't look down here. Where I look is I look around the corner to where I cannot see. And when I do that, the motorcycle just goes. It's very uncomfortable, and you have to get used to that, because if you look down, if you look just a little bit ahead, even if you look a lot ahead, you go where you look at a motorcycle. And so you want to make sure you don't go where you're not supposed to. And another reason people get in accidents with motorcycles is if you're going down the freeway and you see some type of object and you want to avoid it, you have a tendency for your eyes to fix on that object. Well, if you do that on a motorcycle, you will go and hit the object. You always want to look to where you want, want to go, and you want to look much further than you tend to want to go. And that is very much like the Christian faith that we run, that we are looking to a hope. We are looking to Jesus. We don't see him right now, but as we keep our eyes fixed on him, and when we do that, we will run that race. We will make it around that corner, and we will get to the end. And today, as we look at the birth of Jesus, I want to use that and use what we're going to be reading in Scripture as really a reminder of where are we fixing our eyes? How do we stay on course? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So before we turn to Luke 2, which is really the story of the birth of Jesus, I want you to first turn to Luke 1 um, and remind us something that Luke says at the very beginning. This is on page 855 in your pew Bible. So the very beginning of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I want us to remind ourselves, and Jeff talked about this several weeks ago, but remind why are we reading this scripture today? What is Luke trying to get across to us? Why has God made this his word? And so if you look at Luke 1, 1 through 4, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. When you read what Luke did to write this book of Luke that, Luke that we're reading, and when we look at the events of Jesus' life, he wanted to make sure that we could know for certainty these are the things that happened. In fact, if you look at how he was really, you say he's a journalist, he probably presents the news to us much better and more accurately than we tend to get news today. Even with all the technology and how, how fast we get news, you can see how it takes a long time for people to even figure out what's going on. And he went right to the people who were there who saw it, the eyewitnesses. And then he also followed all that closely, looking at everyone, talking to all the eyewitnesses, taking the story and putting it together 
to ensure us that what we have is a certainty as to what happens. If you take a look at the definition of faith, it says, faith is the reality of things hoped for. So faith is about placing our faith in not something that isn't real, but actually something that is real, and placing our faith in that. And it says, faith is the reality of things hoped for, the evidence or assurance of things not seen. And that thing we hope for is Christ. That thing we look for to keep ourselves on the path is Christ. And today we are going to look at his birth. When God became man and what's called the incarnation. Turn with me to just a couple pages more, page 857 in your pew Bible. And keep in mind what Luke said here about he's giving us certainty as if these things really happen. So I want to start in chapter 2. I want to start with reading verses um, 1 through 7 first. So it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration of Cranus, the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of a house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. A very familiar story, I'm sure, to many of you. And you've read this many times. You've seen it acted out in many different ways. A couple of things I want to point out here, because again, Luke is trying to give a certainty about these events that have happened. And so he places these events in real time, real history. He gives us the political situation going on, the social situation going on, and even individually the situation going on with Joseph and Mary. So you notice it begins with, in those days. And this is tying back to the birth of John, the Baptist, that we read last week. So it's situating us in a time, around the time that John the Baptist was born. So what they were doing was they were taking a census. We still have censuses. It's been a while. But they take a census, and the purpose of a census, not surprisingly, is to collect taxes. They want to make sure they know how many people there are, and everyone's registered because for every head that is on there, everybody, every part of the family, there is some tax that they want to charge. And so they want to make sure that's accurate. Well, back in this day is when Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor. Now, Caesar Augustus uh, was born himself in 63 BC, and that was not his original name. His original name was Octavia. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar maybe remember that from your history books. So he was a great nephew of Julius Caesar. There are a number of different conflicts that finally led him into power. One of those was actually Mark Anthony's involvement with Cleopatra of, um, of Egypt. It was one of the things that was a conflict that happened that ultimately all these things played out to where Octavia was then in 27 BC by Rome, by the Senate, he was elected to be what was called the first Roman emperor. And so he was elected to that in 27 BC, and he reigned all the way until 14 AD. So it really situates us as to what's going on politically. Rome is in power at this point in time. 
And you'll notice um, that it says in here that Joseph went up from Galilee. Now, if you were to look at a map of Israel, Galilee is actually in northern Israel. It's a big, huge lake. Uh, it reminds me when I, I went there, and it reminds me that it's, it's, like, it's like Lake Tahoe. It's very, very big. In Galilee, notice how it says he was in the town of Nazareth, and that they come down to Judea. Now, that's coming south. The reason why they say they go up is because when they say up, even though they're going south, it's because they're going up in elevation. Bethlehem and Jerusalem is higher in elevation than Nazareth. So that's the reason why they talk about going up. And that was about a 90-mile trip. Bethlehem is about seven miles south of Jerusalem. So that gives you a little bit of a setting as to what was happening there. And then finally, the last thing is to note is that at this point, I mean, he's really just giving us news. At this point, this could be the type of news you might see in a news feed somewhere. It might be something you see on Facebook, you know, when you see your friends are going to have a baby. It tells us politically what is going on. So you have very much a sense of what Luke is trying to do is give us the news that's going on at that time. So with that situation in mind, I want us to now turn and look at verses 8 through 14. You can think of almost like a newscast again. You're watching the news, it's telling you about what's happening, and all of a sudden it switches to unlocation. And that's really what's happening here, is he's going to now go unlocation by Bethlehem to talk about these events that are going to now occur. And look what it says, verse 8 first. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds were a very common thing to see in Israel during that time taking care of the sheep. And shepherds were usually looked at pretty much the lower class of people. So get that in mind here, is the shepherds are really the ones who are sort of the lower class. They don't really make a lot of money. They're just out there constantly with their sheep, taking care of their sheep. And then in verse 9, now I want to read in through 14, listen now what happens. Again, this is unlocation. The shepherds are out there. They're in this place probably called the shepherd's field, which is just a couple miles south of Bethlehem. And it says in verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that, there will, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So things start changing quite a bit here. How many of you have looked at your Facebook feed or listened to the news and ever heard about a group of people seeing angels? You don't see that. And why is the reason why you don't see that? You don't see it because that is not what news reports. That is not what our worldly news reports. We wonder why a lot of times most news is we think bad news. It's reporting the things that are going on in the world. And what Luke is trying to do is tell us there's something else real going on to here where you to place your faith. There's sort of a real, real. And that is what is going on in heaven, not just on earth. 
And he's now telling us this intersection that happens between heaven and earth as this angel comes down and starts speaking to the shepherds. Many of you might know this, but the word angel means messenger. And when I think of that, it makes me think of the Veggie Tales song. <laughs> I don't know if any of you remember Veggie. Any of you watch Veggie Tales? All right, good. Phew. Well, I'm not the only one. So it sort of reminds me of the, veg, of the Veggie Tales song about the message of the Lord. And this is my rendition of it Do not fear, do not run, a message from the Lord. That would be sort of like what the Veggie song would sound like because this angel comes down your first response would be fear too. And yet, the very first words out of the angel's mouth is to distill that fear, to say, no, wait a minute, I have something to tell you that's more important than anything that's here on earth right now. Anything going on with who's in charge, who's ruling, what's going on politically and socially, I have something to tell you, and you know what? It's not, it's not bad news. It is good news and it's good news for everyone. And so look what happens next. The angel tells them, don't be fearful. And, and the angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, and not just good news, but good news with great joy. Can we all use some of that today? Yeah. Good news with great joy. There will be for all people. And then I want to tell you the next sentence in one sentence, in verse 11, if there's ever a sentence for you to memorize in Scripture, this is it. The entire Christian faith is wrapped up in this sentence. Why are we here today listening to these words? Why have we placed our faith in Christ? Why do we have that hope? Why are we in this race that sometimes we just get so tired? <laughs> It is because of what we're going to read next. And I'm going to just go through every word because every word is for us. Notice how it starts out. In verse 11, it says, For unto you. Now, even though here it's speaking to the shepherds, it is now speaking to every one of us for all time. In fact, notice how um, the verse right before that ends with this good news is for all people. You could add it's for all people for all time. It's for everyone. It started out being for the Jews who first heard the message. And as we went through the book of Acts, what did we see? That message, that good news, traveled throughout the whole world to all of us today, almost 2,000 years later. So it is for us. It's for us to be hearing, us to be listening. And it says, for unto you is born this day, now, the word for this day here is a, is a word that Luke uses over and over again, which really is literally the word today, that this is for today. It is for not just back then when he was born, but it is still for this day, today. And what is for this day? He says, first of all, it says, this day in the city of David. Now, the city of David was the name for Bethlehem. And this right here is very important. You can look and I go and read past and I go, the city of David. Okay, we know Jesus was born in the city of David in Bethlehem. But what it's really doing is recalling for the people back then, and really is a reminder for us today, that the birth of Jesus was something that was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand. 
This right here in the city of David is referring back to a prophetic book in the Old Testament called Micah. In um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, it was written about 700 years before Jesus was born, where it prophesied that the ruler, the king, that would become ruler over all, would be born where? In Bethlehem, in the city of David. We know for sure even archaeologically and scientifically, that this prophecy was given to us way before Jesus was born. The reason why we know that is, I know how many of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls are a bunch of scrolls that were found back in the 1940s or so by a kid, that was, I think it was a shepherd boy, that was just going around and found these caves. In these caves were scrolls of documents that date well before Jesus was born. And in these scrolls that they found, one of them was Micah. You can actually go on the internet and you can look at that scroll where it shows the prophecy of Micah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, written hundreds of years before this happened. Now, I went and looked at that, and, you know, it's the, from the Septuagint, which is a Greek version of the Bible. And to be honest with you, I was looking at it going, it's all Greek to me can't really read it, all right? But the people who know Greek know how to translate that. So we have that this is for us. It's for today. It's something that was prophesied hundreds of years before. We now are going to hear who this baby is. And we know this baby's name is Jesus. We find that out. It was prophesied in, in chapter 1. It's going to be repeated here in verse 21. But we find out that this baby Jesus is not just like any other baby. There is something very, very special about this baby Jesus. And it now tells us using three titles, three ways to identify who this baby is that will change the world. And these, what's interesting is these three titles all occur together. You do not see that hardly at all in the New Testament. It says that this baby Jesus... It was prophesied hundreds of years ago. Who is he? He is a savior. He is the savior who is Christ the Lord. Who is this baby Jesus? He is savior, he is Christ, and he is Lord. No other person ever in the history of the world will ever be given those three titles. If you wonder why, we say Jesus is the one and only Savior is because it's He who is only Savior, Christ, and Lord. When Jesus was born, He was born Savior, Christ, and Lord. We know that after the resurrection, after His ascension, and where Jesus sits right now at the right hand of God, we know that He fulfilled all those titles of Savior, Christ, and Lord. But here he's actually given those titles at his birth. It's not something he earned. It's something that was bestowed upon him by God himself. And each of these titles has a significant meaning to us today. Savior. We often know when we think about Jesus, Savior. As a Savior of the world, what did Jesus do? He came to defeat death to give us what? Eternal life. When we're running that race and we're looking to Jesus, we're running a race that's going to be for eternity because ultimately we're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth because he has defeated death to give us eternal life. 
he has defeated sin so we may have forgiveness of sins. He has wiped out sin completely as far as the east is from the west, so we completely know that we have that full forgiveness of sins. And what he also has done is he took the curse of mankind, the curse of shame that all of us have felt about who am I, who's my identity, and he's taken that curse upon him on the cross and he's done that to completely get rid of that curse to give us new life in him, a new creation, a new life that says we are now children of God. So that's who he is as Savior. He's also Christ. And as Christ, what that means, he's the Messiah. He is the anointed one by God. He is God's one and only begotten Son. Again, one and only. There is no other He's the only one that is God's one and only son. And because of that, he is not just Jesus' baby human like the rest of us, but he is also this baby Jesus who is fully God, as the one who is the son of God. So in the word Christ, we get the fact that he is also a deity. He is also God. He sits today at the right hand of God. He's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is Savior. He is Christ, and he is Lord. We just saw about how Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor. He was, to the Rome at that time, the Lord. But Jesus is not just Lord during a specific time. Jesus is the ruler and authority over all today, forever. He is the one that has all rule and authority over everything. That's why we don't have to really worry What's going on in our country? What's going on in the world? What are the rulers going to do? Ultimately, we have a ruler, one ruler who's ruler over all. It is Christ. It is Jesus, Savior, Christ, and Lord. And so in all these different titles, we have the one that when I say we're like riding that motorcycle, we have the one that we are constantly looking at, that one who sits at the right hand of God, the one that we follow, the one that we place our faith in. So in one sentence... We have the entire Christian faith right here as to what do we believe in? Who do we believe in? And notice that the good news is not about news. It's not so much about events. It ultimately is about a person, and this person being Jesus, who is Christ, Savior, and Lord. In keeping that in mind, notice what happens next. If the angels then say, okay, um, here is the sign we're going to give to you. And it says, here's the sign, because they want, the angels want the shepherds to go find this baby Jesus. He's real. He really exists. And so they give him a sign. It says, you will find this baby swaddled, baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And the reason why they did that was they would put the baby in swaddling clothes to keep its arms and everything, and everything straight. And now I, know, I want you to notice where this baby Jesus, this Savior, Christ, and Lord, where is he? He's, well, we read this all the time, right? A manger. He's in a manger. And so we mostly think of our nice little nativity scenes that we have at Christmas with Jesus, you know, sitting in this nice little comfy, you know, nice little like crib almost, okay? Everything's all nice and, you know, soft and he's really comfy there. Does anybody know what a manger is? A manger is a feeding trough. It is the place where animals feed, where you put the feed for an animal. 
Okay, if you're going up Highway 5, and you guys ever notice, you see all that massive amount of cows. Well, what you see by the cows is these feeding troughs where these cows go to eat their food. Well, because at that time the census was going on in Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem was just overrun with people. And so there was no place for Joseph and Mary to stay when she was about ready to give birth. And so they end up staying in a stable. They end up staying in some type of a stable where animals are kept. Now, that could have been a couple different ideas there. One is, well, that could have been something. What they would have is they would have multiple-story houses. And at the very bottom story, you would have the place where the animals would stay. And that's maybe one place that this birth could have happened. Another place could have been in a stable that was off from a house. And finally, one of the ones that a lot of people think, even today and traditionally, they think Jesus was born in a cave, which there's caves around there. And caves are places where the animals would also, they would have a place where they would stable those animals. And so you can go, when you go to Bethlehem and you look at the traditional place where they say Jesus was born, you can go, you, what you do is you ultimately go to a place that was really a cave. So look at the irony here. The irony that our Savior, the King of the world, was born, but well, he was born, and then he was laid in a place where animals feed. If you want to talk about a humble beginning for the king of the world, you, you can't get much more humble than that. And then notice what happens next, which is what happens all the time in heaven. It's great to get a glimpse of this heaven that we one day will be in, because what happens next is all of a sudden uh, you have not just the one angel of the Lord, but you now, it says, and suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of heavenly hosts. And what were they doing? And you can try to picture this as shepherds. They were all praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and in peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so you have all these angels just singing and giving glory to the fact that God has now become man in Jesus. He's been incarnated the word is in tabernacles now among us is the baby Jesus who's going to grow up to become the one who dies on the cross, the one who saves us from our sins, the one who is Lord over all. And so this right here gives us, in just these few passages, it gives us when I said, when it says that we are to look at Jesus, when we are to fix our eyes on this Christ to run this race, even though we don't see him physically right now, we can be certain that, that, is, that where he is today is now sitting at the right hand of God. And so we're like, like driving that motorcycle again. We are to keep our eyes fixed on him. And what happens is, if we, it's very easy, isn't it, to take our eyes off that fixed on Jesus and to put it somewhere else with all the different things going on in the world or things that are going on individually in our lives. It's so easy to just take our eyes off of that or to look down, or say, I just got to make it the next day. But here it's saying, constantly keep and look and fix your eyes on Jesus. When you do that, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He was the one who was faithful, so we will, when we fix our eyes on him, it's like the motorcycle. You fix your eyes on Jesus, and you will go in that direction, and you will be following him and become more and more holy like him. One of the things, again, as you're thinking about fixing your eyes on Jesus, you do that, but you have to stay on course. 
You have to do a number of other things like on a motorcycle. You have to make sure you keep your balance. You have to make sure you don't accelerate too fast or too slow. So there's these other things that help us as we fix our eyes on Jesus to stay that course as we go in life. And so that's what happens next. We see that as we now look at this next passage in 15 through 20. Now look at what happens. It says in verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven. So what happens now? The angels leave. They're gone. And just like for us, we might not see those angels. We don't see Christ, but they're gone. Now what could the shepherds have done at that point? They could have just gone right back, and they could have just fed their sheep and say, wow, that was cool, <laughs> all right? But no, what do they do? They don't do that. What do they do instead? They obey. They take what they've heard and they obey. It says, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, in this passage right here, it says, let us go. Immediately, look what happens. It says, let us go, and then it says, and they went with haste. The shepherds didn't just go, well, what do you guys think? Hmm? What do you think we should do? Yeah, want we'll to sit down, have dinner. No, they go, let's go. Right now, with haste, we're going to go find this baby Jesus. They immediately take that word of God, and they go. And in fact, what's interesting here is, notice how it says, they let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. That word, this thing, which actually occurred at the beginning of Luke, and you will see this word, this thing, quite a bit. In fact, when you take a look at uh, the definition of faith, it talks about evidence of things. Well, that word thing there is actually the word for the word of God. It's the word. It's not a thing. It's what they have heard. So it's like, let's go over to Bethlehem and see what we've heard, this thing that has happened, and who made known to us? Well, you know, it was the angels. Well, it was the angels, but who ultimately made this known? It was God himself. That is why we know when we read this Bible, we're not just reading human words, we are reading God's word. And that's what they had heard here was God's word. They say, let's go with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Now again, so the first thing I want to notice is they obeyed the word. If we're going to stay on course, the very first thing we need to do is obey what God's word says. And then look what happens next. And when they saw it, what do they do? When they see the baby Jesus, what do they do? The very first thing they do is they make known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. The next thing they do to keep us on course is they don't just hear the word, they don't just obey the word, they share the word. They tell everyone what's going on. All right, so they share the word, the second thing, verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then Mary comes back in the picture, and I love this. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, it's interesting, I thought, pondering, what does pondering mean? I went up and looked up every single version I can find in the Bible to find out, is there other words used for pondering? Do you know every single translation of the Bible translates this word pondering? And that's exactly what Mary did. And what we need to do with God's word when we read it it's not like goes in one ear or the other. We have to ponder that word. We have to really think and consider that word. And that's what Mary did. So that's the other thing that keeps us on path is to stay in the word and just really ponder it, contemplate it. 
And then finally, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. What's the last thing we do to keep on course? Is we keep ourselves, keep on praising and glorifying God. What did we hear? And we're led by Izzy this morning. It was so beautiful. We were glorifying and praising God. So as all of us, as we are on this course, the main thing is to stay on the course, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And how do we do that? The one who is our Savior, our Christ, and our Lord. We stay in his word, stay on that course. When that word tells us to do something or tells us we shouldn't be doing something, we use that as our guide and we are just our course and we obey what that word says. And something we also need to do is we need to be sharing that word with one another. If you want to know how well you're in the word, there's a very good way to tell that is how much you sharing it with others. If you do what Mary did and you ponder the word and you go, wow, look at this. I've never seen this before. You know, we share a lot of stuff with everyone. We share things on Facebook. We share things through text. We share in so many different ways, but so often we share just what's going on in the world. You wonder why we can get depressed and get discouraged and have great fear. When what we hear, read, is there is good news. When we ponder, when we focus on Christ, that is good news. Let's start sharing that much more with each other. And then when we do that, we will glorify and praise God. I'd like to spend this time to give an invitation to all of you because of what we just heard about the birth of Christ. Now, we just heard about how did those shepherds respond. They responded with haste. And there is a story in Luke 19, you can go back and read this today, about Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a sinner, okay, like all of us. And he saw Jesus, and he wants to find out who this Jesus is. He goes and runs up in a tree, and Jesus comes up to him and, and says, Zacchaeus, hurry down. And he says, come with haste. He uses exactly the same words here. He says, come now. And, he, and Zacchaeus comes down, and he meets Jesus, and Zacchaeus then repents of his sin and says, I want you to be my Lord. And Jesus says, today salvation has come. Every day is that day for salvation. And I want to say right now that if you don't know Jesus, if this one you're hearing about today you haven't put faith in, so you can run that course to eternity, today is the day to do that by simply just repenting of your sin, saying, Lord, I need to turn. I'm on the wrong path. I need to turn to you, Lord Jesus. You are the Lord. You are the Christ. You are my Savior. And you know what? A lot of us get off path too. And we just found out, get back on path. We are following Christ. We placed our faith in him, but we end up looking at everything else. Today is the day to set your eyes back on that Jesus. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord for revealing to us today who is the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. And Father, for anyone here today who does not know you, today is the day for them to place their faith in you, Lord. And I pray for everyone who does not know you today, they will turn and place their faith in you. And for us who know you, Lord, and are already following you, we can get off path. And today we want to focus and fix our eyes on Jesus you are our Lord. You're our Savior. You are Christ. You are our only hope, Lord.
And so today, we realign, we fix our eyes back on you, we stay on the course, Lord, through the power of your Spirit. So guide us today, Lord, and may you bless abundantly everyone who is here, Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and ultimately in the name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord and Savior. Amen.